Thank you very much. That's nice. Nice to be welcomed that way. It's good to see you all today. Um, a bit cold, isn't it? Whew. I just uh, spoke to my family in Australia uh, this week, and um, of course, they're finding it very difficult weather-wise as well. Uh, they're saying it's getting 38 degrees um, and quite, quite difficult, uh, to which I hung up. <laughs> um, I know. So it's, it's good to see you guys. Um, it's good to see familiar faces, good to see friends who I've uh, not seen for a while. Um, it's good to worship together. People, I love, I love when we can worship together. There's nothing like it in the whole world than the people of God coming together and worshiping. Um, and so this has just been a, a great great time already this morning. Um, how, how is everyone going on the 40 days of prayer, by the way? Yeah, you're consistently doing it every day? I'm going to confess I haven't done it every day. I know, I know. But that's okay. Because, yeah. That's okay because actually I've got today and tomorrow... And I can continue on. So the, my encouragement to you is, is don't worry if you've, if you've missed some of them. This is an opportunity to carry on. Okay? So with this 40 days of prayer is a significant moment for us. And more importantly, it's significant personally if we can engage with it. So I want to encourage you. As I'm encouraging you, I've put it out there to you now so you know that I'm not always consistent enough myself, so there you go. You can, you can speak to me and say, how'd you, how'd you go this week, Ashley? And I'll hopefully say I did better. Um, but just be encouraged. Keep that up. Keep that going. Um, last week, Mark spoke on repentance. And so today I'm going to try and carry on in that vein. Um, and we're going to see if we can get to a place where we're going to start to look at um, further on in how do we live this life that God has set before us. Um, so this title today is uh, Not Me, Always Him. Now, if anyone knows, this is a miracle that I've got a PowerPoint. <laughs> I've never done this before, so, so go easy on the stuff that I've got up there. Um, and also to tell you, I was so prepared, I did it at 10 o'clock this morning. Um, so just to let you know that this is probably going to be spirit-led more than, than I had anticipated. But let's go. Let's get into it. So the, the title of this is Not Me, Always Him. Um, I had a particular idea of what I was going to speak on today. And during the week, I spoke to different people, uh, which kind of shaped a little bit more of what I was going to say. And in spending time with good, godly people, allowing them to speak into your life allows your perspective and your point of view to be changed and shaped in a way that perhaps you didn't anticipate to go. And some of the stuff I'm going to be pointing out and talking, to, to, talking about today, I want to try and say in a way that it is not pointing at individuals, 
nor is it pointing at people groups, but I want to use certain things that have happened this week in the media to show us and to shape what is happening in the world and the danger that can happen to us as well. So I'm not sure how many of you follow the BBC News. Uh, I don't follow it that much. But this week there was an article in the BBC from the Church of England, the bishops in the Church of England got together to discuss what they are going to put forward to the, to the, the synod uh, in, the, in this year, which is the synod is like the uh, church parliament, Church of England parliament, what well, they're going to put forward to them this year. The Church of England came out, the bishops came out, and they put a statement saying that... Um, that the church's teaching that holy matrimony is between one man and one woman would not change and would not be put to the vote at the synod. But the church confirmed prayers of dedication, thanksgiving, or for God's blessing on the same-sex couples will be offered following a civil marriage or partnership. Now, I want to iterate here. I'm not trying to have a go at a particular part of our society, nor am I trying to have a go at a particular sin or, or things that are against God. What I want to show here is this is just topical because it's come up. I want to show that something that is happening in this world that is contrary to God and how it has effect on us. So I want you to hear what is being spoken here really clearly, that it is not trying to attack individual people. This uh, article goes on and it explains a, a few of people's perception on this. The, the Archbishop of uh, Canterbury says that he, he realises that this is neither going to be enough for some people or it's going to be too far for others. And right from the offset, they, they know right away that this is a compromise. So from the start, they've chosen a compromise. And in this, there are people that are saying that actually there are, there are those who have been campaigning for uh, gay marriage in church for a long time, saying we, we, we're going to leave because of this. And there's others saying that, you know, we, we can't go this way. There was a particular um, uh, openly gay priest of the Church of England in, in London who made a statement saying he's deeply disappointed in this decision, the decision to bless only. And his statement was this, he said, but it's not the end. If the bishops think this is enough, they are gravely mistaken. There was others, the, the Archbishop of York came out and said, what a, what a wonderful occasion this is. What, a, what an amazing progression we have made as a church. What fantastic place we have. But, he said, this is merely an evolutionary step. It is not the end of the journey. Dr. Stephen Croft, the Bishop of Oxford, said the church has further to go on the issue. 
and called for a change in direction and in doctrine to allow gay marriage. Dr. Stephen Croft said this, As I've listened to the stories and experiences of the LGBTQ plus people, all of my pastoral instincts, instincts point to finding a way of interpreting the Bible to allow the greater love and support, tolerance and the blessing of their partnerships. He said, adding that he looked forward to new pastoral guidance that will enable our clergy to order their relationships according to their own conscience and allow them the freedom to enter into same-sex civil marriage. The Church, has also, Church of England has also decided that a statement they put out in 1991 that said that same-sex couples should uh, have abstinence as their only um, way of life um, they have now struck that off, saying that if you're, if, if, if you're living in a same-sex relationship, then you are allowed to now practice that as well. Now, why point this out? What is, what is the point of mentioning this? Why bring it up at all? This is very important for us to realise that this is a critical point in the history of the church in England. And as uncomfortable as it may be for us to speak about these things, as uncomfortable as it is for me to mention these things, we are the people of God and our point of reference is always the truth of the Scripture. The reason why we, some people will say it's okay because they haven't changed doctrine. This, this is, they still believe marriage is only between one man and one woman. It's okay. The church hasn't changed doctrine. The reason this is critical is because now in the Church of England, they have chosen to bless what God says he will not. The Church has chosen to bless what God cannot. So why bring this up? This is a... a this is for us to see who defines two things for us. Who decides or defines what is or isn't allowed. The Bishop of Oxford is saying that it is down to our conscience to allow. It's down to our experience, our feelings to allow. Who decides? Who defines what is or isn't allowed? And the second one is this. The Bishop of Oxford is in a position of authority over many people. He's responsible for direction of people's spiritual life and growth. He has leaders under him who are looking to him for direction. And in the statement he made, I can see that perhaps there is a motive that is saying these people have it tough to try to find a way into church. Shouldn't we relax some of this to make it easier for them to come in and meet with God? See, the two questions that come up this is who gets to decide what is or isn't allowed? 
And the second question that seems to come out of this is, is Christianity too hard anyway? Is obeying God too hard? And in their endeavor and, in, and often our compassion and our, our pastoral care for people, we see that sometimes it is hard and difficult for, for people to connect with God. And especially in this day and age, and especially in the times when the standard of what God has put forth and the standard that the world puts forth is so different. And I can hear in this, this pastoral heart almost. Shouldn't we make it easy as possible for people to know God? Shouldn't we relax some of these standards so people feel accepted? The motive is perhaps not necessarily wrong. But it comes to this question, who decides what isn't or is allowed? Well, if we go to Deuteronomy 10, we will see that the one who should decide is the one who made it all. Behold, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. For the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribes. The person who gets to decide what is or isn't allowed is the person who rules over all. The person who creates reality, the person who creates people, the person who creates societies and civilizations and culture is the one who gets to decide. We don't get to decide. What God says must go because it belongs to him anyway. God is the creator of not just our reality, but all reality, both on earth and in heaven. So if God gets to decide what is or isn't allowed, if God's commandments are what we must go by, then perhaps we should see what commandments God has given us. Now, I found this interesting when I was looking up. Um, all, the, all the commandments that are, uh, um, are in the Old Testament. And the word commandment, the Hebrew word for the word commandment, actually comes from a root word of the, from Hebrew that actually means connection. Like, for me, that was like a bombshell. The commandments of God is not to prevent something. It's not to, 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 to stop something. The commandments of God are actually God's way of saying, connect with me. 
Isn't that astonishing? The commandments of God as his way of saying, if you want connection, here's some stuff you can look at. The question we have to say is, is it too hard? Is it too hard that God has asked us all these things to do? If we look at the Old Testament, how many, how many commandments do people think are in the Old Testament? Some of you know. I heard someone knows already, don't they? Yeah. 613. 613 commandments are in the Old Testament. Of those 613, there is 365 that would be classed as thou shalt, you know, the, the, the real serious ones. 613. I was looking through the list of these 613, and I was looking at some of them, I'm like, I've probably got a lot of these down. Like there was one in there that says, uh, I shouldn't boil a goat in its own milk. Do you know what? Never done that. I can tick that one off. Brilliant. I go down for some more. It says, uh, I won't do that one. <laughs> it says, do not make an idol out of stone. I haven't done that. I didn't make it an idol out of stone. There's another one that says, do not lay down on a, on a stone slab and worship idols. Haven't done that either. Looking quite good for me. I was going through this, and there's a lot that I tick off as all right. And then you look a little bit more. <laughs> there's some others here I haven't done. It says... Uh, do not pass your children through the fire to Moloch. Haven't done that. And tick another one off. You're probably all relieved on that one. But there's some others that come up. Others that I have not done. Do not profane God's name. Okay. I don't do it as often now. Maybe I'm a bit better. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, and all your mind. Okay? Maybe not. And when we go through this list of 613, I find... There are some that I cannot say I've kept, or even now I struggle to keep. I say 613 in the Old Testament, I can't do it. It's, it's too hard. It's too hard. Maybe some of these need to be relaxed. Maybe some of these need to be forgotten. And then we can just go, well, do you know what? We don't live in the Old Testament now. We've got a new one. We've got a New Testament, so we don't have to worry about the old stuff anymore. There's 613 in the, in the Old Testament. How many commandments are in the New Testament? 10? 20? 100? 600? 1,050. 1,050 commands in the New Testament. All of you are thinking, 
I'm going to go through my Bible and look at all these 1,000. I have a list if you'd like to add it afterwards. I'll have a list and you can go through it with all the Bible references for it as well. Uh, I didn't compile it myself because, as you heard, I only finished this sermon this morning, so I didn't have the time. But there is 150 that a lot of scholars will say are commandments in the New Testament. What? I thought Jesus was supposed to make this easier. It was too hard in the Old Testament. They couldn't do it then. Surely it's easier now. 1,050? Are you kidding me? You're making this harder. And yes, Jesus does. He definitely makes it harder. He doesn't get us off light. Is it too hard? So the question is, well... Can we relax a few of these? Can we just say, do you know what, maybe the more guidelines, suggestions maybe. Maybe we just say they're helpful if we choose to follow them. Well, we are followers of Jesus, aren't we? So what do we need to do? We need to go and see what Jesus says about this stuff. If we really want to know what we should do. Can we relax these things? Can we ignore some of them? If we go to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, it says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Can we relax some of these? Maybe the small ones. Maybe the, can we relax them? According to Jesus, no, we can't. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, none of these can be relaxed. None of these can be ignored. 613 in the Old Testament, 1,050 in the New. It's a bit hard. But maybe, maybe we don't relax or ignore them. Maybe some of them, maybe if we keep most of them, maybe if we strive to keep them, maybe if we try to keep them, maybe that's okay. Maybe that's what he really wants. He wants us to aim at trying to keep them, knowing that we won't, but we're going to try. And maybe that's good enough. Well, let's go see what God says. What does God require? He made the laws, he made the commandments. So if we travel back to Deuteronomy in chapter 10, let's see what God says. And now Israel 
What does the Lord your God require of you? To fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good. We're required to keep all of them. Now, I'm not going to go into the Old Testament and and the fulfillment of what Jesus has done, but the requirement is perfect obedience. Is this too hard? Is it too hard to obey the laws? Is this too hard? Let me read what is uh, from the New City Catechism. For those who don't know what a catechism is, a catechism is a series of questions and answers that help explain um, the Christian faith. Uh, And there's many different ones, some of them... um, Famous one like the the shorter Westminster Catechism. Um, I'm sure you're all aware of that one. Um, There's also the the longer one. Um, That's why they had to shorten it because it was too long. The funny thing is the shorter one is still 101 questions and answers you need to remember. So that's great. But then we've got this one here. They brought out a new one, the New City Catechism. uh, And they said just 50, just 50 questions (laughs) and answers to remember. But one of the questions is this. What does the law of God require? And the response and the answer from Scripture is this. Personal, perfect, and perpetual obedience. That we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. What God forbids should never be done, and what God commands should always be done. That's what's required of us. Is it too hard? Is it too hard? No, it's impossible. It's impossible. This is not too hard. We don't get up thinking, is it too hard to follow Jesus? It's impossible to follow the requirements of God. Impossible. In Romans 3.10, Apostle Paul says, no one does good. No one seeks after God. He doesn't say that actually some people do. He doesn't say that there's a possibility that in their own obedience to the Scriptures, they're going to be drawn towards God. In fact, in Romans 3.10, the very opposite is spoken about. It says, because we have the law, it seems to stop us from coming to God. You see, what the law does is it reveals that we are sinners. It reveals that we are beggars. When we see all these laws, and as I went through them and looked at them, and I'm just like, my ledger is running red. It's dripping red. It's impossible. 
Is it too hard? Should we relax them? Should we make it easier? Why? How? We can't. It's already impossible. What's relaxing it going to do? What's blessing what God cannot going to do? It's impossible to, to do this anyway. We're not asked to be good. I went through the list and I can tick off some of them. I could be seen as a good person. I could be seen maybe that's enough. Maybe being good is enough. Good is not enough. The requirement of God is perfect obedience. Perfect obedience. I stand before you far, far from perfect obedience. Question, is it too hard? No, it's impossible. Relaxing things that God says we shouldn't do, blessing things that God cannot bless, it does not make the impossible likely. It's still impossible. Perfection is what we are called to be. Perfect. And this is helpful for us, not just for those who are not Christians, but for us who are Christians. Because there are sometimes when we think, I need to just work a bit harder. Impossible. When you think, you know, it's really hard to love those who hate me. It's impossible. You know, this is hard to not forsake fellowshipping together with fellow believers. It's hard to pray. It's hard to give thanks in all circumstances. It's hard to make righteous choices. It's hard to say no to the world and yes to God. It's not hard. It's impossible. And we as Christians, we as followers of Christ, need to understand that we don't start from a place of probable. We don't start from a place of it's hard. We start from a place of it's impossible. And when I think about these things and some of the stuff that God asked me to do, some of these things like standing up in front here and speaking on these things, for me, it feels impossible. But into history steps a man. Into history steps perfection. And he lives a life we could not. And he obeys perfectly where we cannot. And where we stand and say, God, these laws, these commandments, impossible for me to perfectly pursue them. This man, Jesus Christ, says, I make possible. I make possible. A verse we've been referring to quite a bit recently is Titus 3. Titus 3, verse 4. 
Listen to this. Listen to the one who makes it possible. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What is impossible to do, Christ appeared and made possible. I make possible, Jesus says. What we need is a saviour. But it's not all we need. We also need a Lord. Salvation is the way we enter. Lordship is the way we go on. We enter through salvation. We enter because it is impossible. And he who says, I make possible, has come and saved us. And now he says, make me Lord. This is a story of the gospel right from the start. When the people came out of Egypt, the Jews, they were saved first and then they were called to lordship. They were brought out of slavery, crossed through the Red Sea and came into that place where God says, I have saved you, now follow me. Now obey my voice. Salvation is the start. Yes, good, great. Lordship is the way we go on. And in those days, as we go ahead, and my conclusion is this, that when we look at our lives and we say, impossible, it's a moment for us to pray, be Lord of this area. When there is chaos reigning in our life, it is a moment for the Lord to step in. For the Lord, when he comes, he orders, he brings peace into chaos. The power of the Christian life is in the lordship of Jesus. Hebrews 13.20 says it this way. Now... May the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd, will equip us with everything good, everything that we need to please him. This is the lordship of Jesus, the power that allows us to carry on. 
if we relax the commands of God, if we change the commands of God, then God is no longer Lord. He is under us. We are telling him what he should do. And that will not do. That cannot do. For there will come a day where every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. There will come a day when people will declare that he is Lord of all. The joy and the opportunity for us, the glorious thing for us is we get to decide that today. We get to decide that now. We cannot change the commands of God. We cannot bless what God cannot bless. If God is Lord of our lives, then we can only bless what he blesses. And as is so so amazingly put, I, I love the way they put it in this catechism, what God forbids should never be done and what God commands should always be done. And here's the thing, guys. If God is not Lord of your life, then that is a great loss for you and a great loss for me. But if God is not Lord of the church, then that is a disaster for the world. We must always pursue God as Lord in our own lives but only if it has an outworking in the truth that he is Lord over all of his church. We cannot water down any of this. I want us to respond right now. And in this moment, I'm going to put a, uh, if Isabel can put it up now, I'm going to put the, the Lord's Prayer up. don't know if you can see that. I'll read it out. We're going, to, we're going to stand up and we're going to speak this together. Because when we declare out these truths, we're not just making a statement personally, but as we do it as a congregation, we as a people are declaring that God is not only Lord of our lives, but Lord of this church. So as we, I'll just give you a few moments, if you can see that, to glance through it. And then I would like us to stand together and we'll say it together. Okay, let's stand together. Lord Jesus, I reaffirm you now as the Lord in the whole of my life. Lord of my human spirit, 
and all my spiritual awareness and worship. Lord of my mind, my attitudes, my thinking, my beliefs, and my imagination. Lord of my emotions and my expression of my feelings. Lord of my will and all my decisions. Lord of my body, my physical health, my exercise, my diet, my rest, and my appearance. Lord of my sexuality and its expression. Lord of my family and all my relationships. Lord of my work. Lord of my material goods and my needs. Lord of my finances. Lord of my plans, my ambitions, and my future. Lord of my life and timing of my physical death. Amen. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray this over us right now as it's been declared. Some of these things to declare can be difficult, but we want to be a people who make you Lord of all of our life. For I am utterly convinced that the power to live this Christian life is found in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. By this Lordship, we find the means to be able to persevere in times when it gets tough. Your Lordship is when we come and you bring chaos uh, under control and bring it back into order. You are Lord of all. And as we've declared this out, we pray that this would be a beacon, this place here would be a beacon of the Lordship of Jesus for all to see and for all to know. And Lord Jesus, as we pursue you, we pray that we would know that it is only through your Holy Spirit indwelling in us that we will be able to achieve this pursuit of the Lordship of Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we've got to, we, we're going to come back to time of worship. Um, so, if, yeah, if the worship group want to come up, we're going to just have a song which we're going to sing together now. And I just want to say to you guys that actually, when we have these things of the Lordship of Jesus... We're going to start looking at what it means to live under the Lordship of Jesus and how we can do this. And by what means can we keep pursuing and sustaining and pursuing Jesus as Lord and as Saviour. But as we sing this worship song together, my prayer that as you go through the day and the weeks and you think these thoughts come in and say, It's hard. It's hard. I want you to replace that with impossible. Impossible. And then fall on your knees and and say, but you, Lord Jesus, you make possible. Pursue him in the impossible. Pursue him not because it's too hard, but because it's impossible. And let him make clear what he and he alone can do. Jesus, be Lord of all.